Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. Welcome back to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. I'm Brad Wright. Even though most of us generally understand the reason we pay taxes to the state of Vermont is to keep the lights on and run and coordinate the services that benefit us as a society. However, the process of filing a return isn't always easy because there are lots of rules and regulations you have to follow, and sometimes things get a little messy. And if you feel like the state didn't treat you fairly, you can turn to the Vermont Taxpayer Advocate. That person is Jeff Dooley, who joins us now by phone. Jeff, welcome. Good to speak with you, Brad. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Jeff, in, in reading through your job description, um, you have a lot on your plate when it comes time to, for Vermonters to file a return. What would you say is the biggest part of your job? Um, well, I would say that there's two main parts of my job. Um, there's a macro level and there's a micro level. Um, on the macro level, I'm the person in the Department of Taxes um, that's looking at things from the taxpayer's point of view. So when the, ta- when the tax department uh, is making a decision or talking about instituting a new process, um, I'm the one who looks at it and says, well, is this something that taxpayers are going to be able to follow easily and be able to do? Um, in addition to that, um, I also uh, present a report every year to the Vermont uh, Ways and Means Committee, uh, which I'm doing tomorrow, and suggest any changes that I think that uh, should be made to Vermont statutes to make life easier for Vermonters. Then there's also uh, the micro level, um, where if things go off the rails for an individual taxpayer in dealing with the department, uh, they can contact me and I can try to get things back on track. Um, and there's also a specific process in statute called extraordinary Re- relief, where uh, if the letter of the law applies to a taxpayer in a way that's unfair, unforeseen, or creates a significant financial hardship, they can contact me and um, I present their case to the commissioner, and then he can use his powers to grant them relief. And so they either don't have to pay what the, uh, the law says they have to pay, or they get a benefit that uh, the law says they might not be entitled to. 802-244-1777 is the number to call if uh, you uh, have a question for Jeff Dooley, the Vermont Taxpayer Advocate. Uh, Jeff, what do you find to be among the most common complaints from individual taxpayers? Oh, well, I mean, the biggest issue that I deal with uh, on a day-to-day basis has to do with the property tax uh, credit claims. It's a very complicated system. Uh, It's targeted at lower-income Vermonters who usually can't afford to hire preparers to prepare their returns for them, and it has some really harsh deadlines with if people miss them, they can be out thousands of dollars, which for you know lower-income Vermonters could mean that they lose their home. So uh, that's by far the biggest issue I deal with. Um, and then I guess the other big issue is just that, you know, as you've stated uh, in the introduction, the, the, the system's complicated, 
And, you know, a lot of times people feel when they have to have a lot of back and forth with the department that, you know, this is not something they deal with on a day-to-day basis. So how are they expected to understand all the various rules and complexities in the system? Yeah, it's, uh, it is, uh, I think, a, um, a, a good thing, um, but it is hard to understand this, you know, the Homestead Declaration and the property tax credit. Um, one of the, uh, and, and, and when you're dealing with deadlines, uh, I have found in my, um, 67 years of existence that a lot of people never figure out what a deadline really is. Um, and, uh, and it, as, as you mentioned in your report, um, uh, property tax, uh, credit claims have a statutory extended deadline of October 15th. Which means if you don't, if you don't make, you know, f- file the necessary documents by that time, you're SOL. Um, uh, and, and how often, I mean, do you have a, can you give me a number of, of, you know, like how often that's a, that's, uh, how many cases you deal with that are like that? Um, well, on a, on a year-to-year basis, um, I usually have uh, about 60-ish people who come across my desk, which isn't a huge number. Uh, interestingly, though, last year I finally got um, one of my legislative initiatives passed, which was for people who filed the homestead declaration but for whatever reason uh, didn't also file the property tax credit at the same time, they have uh, an extended the deadline has been extended to March 15th for those people who fall into that particular um, circumstance. And thus far, we've already had uh, over 120 people take advantage of that. And I would say that people who fall into that circumstance. Jeff, uh, I'm sorry we got uh, um, we lost you there momentarily. Um uh, can you uh, talk a little bit about uh, uh, how w- w- the uh, the number of di- the, the difficulty and um, uh, the uh, in 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 getting you know this uh, sixty or so people back on track? Um, well, it's it's a well, I'm the only person in my office, so what basically what has to happen is um, they have to contact me. Um, they have to submit the forms that they should have filed, and then uh, I have to look into their case, uh, summarize it, submit it to the uh, commissioner, and then um, he, if he approves it, then that goes down to our taxpayer services unit, and then someone has to go in and physically enter that in uh, to get the person. And then the check goes to the individual uh, rather than to the town, and then they can square up uh, either with the town or with their mortgage company, depending on the circumstances. Right. Um, the difficulty with the Homestead Declaration, um, I've, uh, I've uh, I found it to be confusing myself uh, at various times. Um, uh, can you explain how? what is the best way to do that so that people don't have to uh, get into the process of, of, you know, dealing with you or, or, or the tax department, uh, generally. Well, I would say the best thing to do is to file, file early, file before the, uh, original April 15th deadline. Um, and, you know, don't, we're, we're kind of one of one in having this process. No other state has a similar 
property tax credit program. Um, so software vendors, frankly, don't spend quite as much time on Vermont as they might in other states where a small state. But so always make sure to double and triple check um, before, after you file that your homestead declaration and your property tax credit was filed. And then uh, if you don't hear from us in early summer, definitely contact the department. Uh, you should get a letter saying what, what your property tax credit is in June. And uh, I apologize, the fire alarm's going off here. Um, but um, that's the best way. And then if, if, if you don't get that letter, definitely contact the department um, and see if we have a record of your filing. Okay. Um, uh, I noticed that um, uh, the uh, with the difficulty of you had you had uh, pro, uh, uh, in your in your last report um, you you proposed a resolution for um, for late filing penalties. Can you tell us what that was? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I must have spoken about that after we got cut off, but uh, they did pass that. And that is for specifically people who have filed their homestead declaration, but for whatever reason, the property tax adjustments or I'm sorry, property tax credits was not filed along with it. And they are allowed to file up to March 15th with a $150 penalty. And already this year, we've had over 120 people take advantage of that extended deadline. So clearly the population of people who, um, are affected by this is larger than the ones that come across my desk. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've often thought that state government doesn't really have enough people, uh, and is, and is often under resourced. Um, and so, you know, as you know, I mean, as, as we've discussed, filing a return, especially in Vermont can be complicated. Um, how does, how does, how well does the state handle that big workload and does that enter into what you do at all? Actually, uh, the state of Vermont has done really well uh, over the past couple of years. Um, I'm particularly proud of what they've done during COVID and when we were displaced during the flooding uh, from July to November. But uh, I believe last year we processed 95% uh, of returns within um, 60 days of receipt of the return, which is you know, much higher than is done at the federal level or, um, you know, maybe in other states. So the state does do pretty well um, with processing in general. Uh, but as we, but we are understaffed. One of the common complaints uh, in our yearly engagement survey is that, you know, there's not enough time to get all the work done. Yeah. Um, so that means that the normal person – is not having much of an issue with their problems. But when someone does go off the rails, you know, there isn't a lot of extra workload in, or extra workforce to devote time to those really one-off cases where people really need to dive in and do a deep dive into someone's account. Well, I was going to ask you about uh, what we mentioned in your last report, uh, which was to simplify and remove some of the tight time restrictions from the property tax credit program, like uh, 
uh, like the um, extended deadline of October 15th as, as a hard deadline. You've recommended um, simplifying and removing that tight time restriction from the property tax credit program. Uh, what would that involve? Uh, well, removing it entirely would involve really kind of overhauling uh, a number of sections of the Homestead Declaration and the Property Tax Credit um, statute. Um, Like I said, they did extend the deadline for people who are in the narrow circumstance of uh, having filed their Homestead Declaration but not having filed their property tax credit. Um, So we did get relief for some of those individuals, but... Most people who don't file their property tax credit haven't filed their homestead declaration either. So that would require um, changing a number of different sections of the statute. Okay. And uh, I'm, I, in, in, a, in a year like this, uh, um, the legislature is probably not going to get to that? No, I would expect not. I mean, um, it's a major lift. A couple of years ago, we did uh, overhaul the – what was the renter rebate um, and, and is now the renter credit and really simplified that. And that has been really successful. We've had a lot more people um, who are eligible for that credit applying for it, uh, which was a good result. Um, but um, there's so many uh, – the, the, the property tax credit and homestead declaration system is so ingrained at this point that overhauling it's going to take um, – you know, some real initiative. Yeah. Um, uh, I noted in, in the report that's uh, published on your website that um, uh, you suggested moving away from household income as the determining factor for whether one qualifies um, uh, for the um, for the tax credit or the or the um, uh, for the tax credit. Um, and and uh, and move toward modified adjusted gross income. Um, how would that help? Well, I mean, um, modified adjusted gross income, I think, is adjusted gross income plus or minus like three or four um, different factors, whereas our current household income um, calculation is um, – uh, adjusted gross income plus or minus, I, th- I believe it's 21 or 22 different factors. So um, it would definitely um, reduce the number of things other than adjusted someone would be aware of in order to accurately file that form. Okay. Um, I, uh, also, in your last report, um, you um, you noted that uh, the tax credit forms HS-122 and HI-144 are lengthy and difficult. Um, you suggested um, uh, simplifying them in some way. How would that work? Well, I mean, in an ideal world, um, um, from having a separate form entirely and just making it a – low-income housing credit on our, their personal income tax form. Their uh, IN-111 is the personal income tax form for Vermont. It would just be a single line, and based on their um, income level, they would get a, get a simple credit. Um, alternatively, uh, it could just, again, go to, go to modified adjusted uh, gross income if that wasn't uh, something that could fly. 
Okay. Um, is what would what would we expect? Um, what would you say is a highlight of the report that uh, you plan to file tomorrow? This is actually a pretty um, uh, thin report this year. Uh, thankfully, I have a pretty good working relationship with the legislature, so um, they actually passed the majority of the. Um, changes that I've suggested over the past six years. So there isn't much new for me to suggest. I'm not going to suggest a change, just to suggest one. But um, I think the two main ones is that uh, the change that they passed last year, um, of that small change of moving it to March 15th for people who have already filed their homestead declaration has impacted hundreds of Vermonters. And, um, and also, um, you know, highlighting... Um, the, the good work that uh, the department did during the flood this year, where um, we suddenly had to move to a different space. Most people had to work remotely, and our assistance um, did not go down in that time. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Jeff Dooley is the uh, uh, Vermont taxpayer advocate. He is the guy who sticks up for you if you have. Uh, uh, an issue that you just can't resolve with uh, the state tax department. Uh, Jeff, I do want to say uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, uh, because, and I'm sorry uh, for all the difficulty you had. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because, because we got there. Yeah, because uh, not only did you get cut off somehow, but you had the fire alarm going off. Uh, boy, um, it's it was it sounds like a conspiracy to me. Um, but uh, anyway, Jeff, thank you so much for joining. Us, we appreciate very much uh, your uh, appearance on on Vermont uh, Viewpoint. Great, thanks for speaking with me. All right, have a great one. Uh, this is Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We will be right back. Welcome back to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. I'm Brad Wright. During the pandemic, most indoor places, I'm sure you'll recall, where people could gather had to close or make alterations such that the physical environment was just not the same. Movie theaters, restaurants closed. You had to be careful and mask up just to go to the grocery store. Um, so comedy clubs would have been in the same boat, right? Um, but if there was ever a time when people could use a good laugh, it was during the pandemic. And so comedians devised a way to still bring comedy to their paying audiences using some of the same video conferencing that uh, people were using um, anyway in, uh, in their offices or, or, or whatever, um, or working from home. Um, I have to say I watched a few of them, and it was pretty good. Uh, joining us is a veteran of Zoom stand-up comedy, Walter Gottlieb. Walter, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. I have a feeling. I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be funny. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, I do want to ask you, um, uh, what was it like doing Zoom comedy? And, and what are some of the, the what was the difference like between Zoom comedy and, and standing up in front of a live audience? Well, I was about a year into my comedy career, you know, in, in March 2020, the, the beginning of the pandemic. When everything shut down, live comedy shut down, and very quickly uh, some clever comedians and producers started producing Zoom comedy shows, 
And I jumped on that bandwagon. I thought it was oddly liberating in a way because here you could do uh, comedy for audiences and for other comedians, not just around the country but around the world. And you met all sorts of new people. Um, I, I made a lot of great Zoom comedy friends all over the United States that I wouldn't have met otherwise. And it was just a great feeling to be able to continue doing your craft, even though everything else had locked down. You could be here, like I'm talking to you right now, from my home office, my little den, and and do comedy with comedians from California, from Australia, from Germany, the UK. It was it was really amazing. Hmm. Um what was what were the uh what was the the response uh um with zoom jokes versus you know standing in front of a live audience how how did you get the feedback that's a great question so getting feedback from an audience on zoom was a little harder because when you know certainly you had the other comedians in the zoom room and most of them would keep their cameras on and if you were lucky they'd keep themselves unmuted so you could hear them laugh and respond. But the odd thing is a lot of the audience, a lot of the civilians who would join these Zoom shows would keep their cameras and their microphones off. So it was like doing Hollywood squares during a power outage. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you look at all these blank, you know, black boxes with the little mute symbol. It's like, what the heck are you doing watching a comedy show if I can't see or hear you? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um and 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 of course it's a long time to to sit in front of a laptop and and uh and and throw out jokes, right? You're absolutely right. I mean, and unlike at an open mic in person or at a club where you might be able to get up, get a drink, um go to the restaurant whatever, you're 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 kind of stuck, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you're kind of stuck at your desk in front of your laptop your you know and some of these zoom shows would go on for hours you know right right and 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 did you have to stay with it the whole time uh you know it's funny because you could sneak on and off camera you could you know you could try to go get something to eat and come back and subtly eat it like i remember trying to you know sneak eating a bagel and not making too obvious cover my mouth, but I ended up uh, joining a Zoom universe called Dat Fan and Friends with the winner of Last Comic Standing on NBC from back in the 2000s, and he started a very clever and very popular Zoom show, Dat Fan and Friends, out of L.A., and he instituted some pretty strict rules, which I think he was right to do, where at least the comedians had to stay and keep their cameras on. And, you know, even if you went to the bathroom, you're to keep your camera on <laughs> so they know you were still there. And, yeah, uh, he and, and some others would require you to say, if you're going to do this show or this mic, you're going to stay the whole time. And so, yeah, it's it's fun, but it's also a long time to, to sit there, you know, uh, doing um, comedy in your pajama bottoms. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's a word picture. I'm having a little trouble with there, uh, Walter. But um, uh, <laughs> uh, did you uh, – and, and, you know, now that people are, you know, back in movie theaters and restaurants and 
I'm assuming the comedy clubs um, have have reopened too. Um, is is Zoom comedy still a thing, uh, really, or or is it is it going to go back just to the to the clubs the way it used to be? Well, it really peaked in 2020. 2021 and then it really started to fall off in in 2022 and right now yes there are those stalwarts who producers who keep uh producing zoom comedy but i can tell you that it's dropped off quite a bit as people have gone back to the live shows and uh that fan and friends keeps going uh, as a hybrid live in studio in LA slash Zoom with comics around the country, there are still some folks who do Zoom comedy on uh, Zoom and on platforms like Plausible. But yeah, it's kind of uh, it's kind of plateaued at a much lower level than it was. Okay, um, uh, I saw you play clubs in Washington D.C. Where else did you play? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, if you combine my experience before and after the pandemic, uh, I performed all over D.C., as you mentioned, in Baltimore, which is a great comedy town, by the way, uh, New York City, L.A., uh, Philadelphia, and Scranton, Pennsylvania, <laughs> and uh, the North Carolina Comedy Festival and, and other comedy festivals. And, yeah, I'm I'm back out there and you know, everybody disses Zoom comedy, say that it sucked. I really liked it and and continue to enjoy doing the Dat Fan Show. But other than that, there is nothing like live comedy with a live audience there right in the room and you're all together vibing. Unless you bomb, of course, in which case you'd rather be on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, um, I, I was, uh, I was gonna uh, mention to you, Walter, that it looks like the Vermont Comedy Club in downtown Burlington is enlisting, um, some of the same video conferencing techniques, um, that you were using for, uh, for Zoom comedy, but, but apparently they use it as, as, uh, as a team building exercise. You know, it's interesting, um, a similar model was implemented by Flappers Comedy Club in L.A., which is one of the bigger, more popular clubs out there. You know, Jay Leno comes through almost every week. And they built a whole infrastructure where they would do classes, where they would do auditions, where they would do mics. And I do think if that's what uh, Vermont Comedy Club is doing, that that's smart and there's still some – utility in it plus i imagine like right now we're having a terrible snow and ice storm and i assume that it opens up opportunities in vermont for people who might not be able to get into burlington every night or right. you know you're snowed in you can still interact with the club yeah yeah that's right um did you find it uh, uh difficult to break into to the comedy thing and 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 how scary was that first one Hmm. Let's see. Well, I should preface this by saying I had done uh, a lifetime of community theater, mostly musicals, so I was used to being on stage, so it wasn't as scary for me. You know, in fact, I was probably more scared coming out on stage during South Pacific or Carousel. Was stepping out on stage because you got to remember your song and hit your notes. But uh, it, it, 
for me, I was a performer my whole life, so it wasn't that scary, but I did want to get it right. And it wasn't too hard to get a little bit of stage time and start off here in Washington. I think the harder thing is sustaining your career and uh, getting bookings in a market that must have at least a thousand comedians here. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's uh, it's um, uh, it's it's a little difficult. It's hard to be funny on demand, I guess I would say. <laughs> yeah. Right. You don't want to be at a party. You know, the worst thing is you're at parties and like, oh, you're a comedian. Be funny. Yeah. Be funny <laughs> immediately. And uh, if you don't laugh, I'll kill you. Right. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like, no, you gotta, you know, we, we're not just, I mean, some of us are spontaneously funny, but I mean, stand up comedy is a craft where you think about it, you observe life, you make notes, you craft it into jokes using, you know, time-honored formulas, and it's not the same as being the funny guy at the party. Right, right, that's true. Um, although I'm, I'm at some point I'm still looking forward to seeing you with a lampshade on your head at, at whatever next party you go to. There's, there's got to be a joke about about uh, Zoom comedy. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> there, there are plenty that you could tell, and they all tend to be sort of inside baseball but but i would tell one where i'd say you know i'm middle-aged and i'm not awesome with technology uh you ever get a zoom work meeting confused with a zoom comedy show um <laughs> i i didn't wasn't great turns out my boss doesn't like to be roasted uh, <laughs> or when the ceo announced some layoffs and i said i have a great tag for you on that one <laughs> and uh Ooh. let me tell you my boss certainly didn't appreciate me doing crowd work during my weekly progress report, I'm like, so what do you do for a living, ma'am? She's like, I'm the marketing director you used to work for. Ooh, so. ooh it's a little cold. Wow. Um, now, uh, you and I have known each other for a while, and, and I, I know that, uh, that you have uh, three adult daughters. Um, I, I'm sure uh, raising them w- would have been um, just a lot of fun. Listen, I love my daughters, and they and they were and they were pretty good kids, and you know they made mistakes, we made mistakes, but they all turned out all right. But they're young ladies now; they're they're Gen Z, and you know a common complaint uh, is that Gen Z kids don't call their parents a lot. But my my daughters actually call me uh, every week to ask for my um, Netflix password, <laughs> and I'll be like, uh, the password is. Would it kill you to call daddy just to say hi? <laughs> and they'll be like, is that a capital W in Wood? <laughs> any special characters? Yeah. Fun. Oh, fun. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> uh, if, uh, if you have a, uh, a joke, uh, a clean, nice, you know, non-dad joke um, that you'd like to, uh, to come on and, and share with us, you're welcome to do so. You're at, uh, please do so at 802-244-1777. Or if you just have a question about how to break into comedy, whether it's Zoom comedy or on stage, uh, please give us a call at 802-244-1777. Um, uh, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, your adult daughters, um, and, uh, your, and, and your parents, uh, I guess, uh, still treat you like a kid. Yeah. Even being middle-aged, um, my parents still 
do treat me like a child. My mom calls me uh, many times a day to check up on me, and of course I want to want to talk to her, and I do love her and am concerned about her. But now when she calls, uh, my smartphone says scam likely. <laughs> uh, thanks, Mom. And, you know, my dad, uh, who we lost last year, but he wasn't much better. I, I had gotten a motorcycle, as you know, Brad, in my 50s, and he called me up and he says, your mom and I don't like your riding the motorcycle, Walter, but we think you're old enough to make your own decision. <laughs> well, that's that must have been like, very... <laughs> Dude, are you kidding? I'm old enough for estate planning. What do you <laughs> mean? So, yeah, you can't escape it. You can't escape it. Right, right. Um, so if I recall correctly, um, you caught the COVID bug? Yeah, I was on... Uh, a work trip for the organization that uh, you used to work for and that I, I still work for, and I caught, yeah, I caught COVID in Vegas, and I was thinking, what are the odds of that? You know, probably one-to-one, -one, right? Right, then, right. You know, I I didn't lose my sense of smell, uh, Brad, when I got COVID, but I did lose my sense of taste. Um, <laughs> I started binging on a show called Love is Blind on, on streaming video, and uh, it's it pretty bad, but I had no taste, so I couldn't tell. And uh, per CDC guidelines, you know, that they put out during the pandemic, I when my symptoms went away, I had to go back to reruns of succession. <laughs> well, um, uh, it, it, that's there. There's your taste coming back, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, uh, we are speaking with uh, Walter Gottlieb, uh, who is a veteran of the Zoom comedy scene, and we actually have a question from Xenia in Barry. Uh, Xenia, what's your question, or do you have a joke uh, for Walter? I have a joke. Excellent. Um, so this guy was a farmer uh, uh, right uh, in uh, Guilford, Vermont, and uh, uh he uh, paid taxes both to Guilford and to Berniston, Mass, because he was right on the state line. And uh, at some point, uh, there was a reappraisal, and it turned out that actually all of his land was in Berniston, Vermont. And when they brought him the news, he said, well, that's a relief. I was getting too old for those Vermont winters. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Nothing like local humor, right? Like I could do a, a few wicked jokes about Skaggsville, Maryland, if we have the time. There you go, um, Zenia. Are 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 you? <laughs> do you do you uh, do you uh, do comedy at all? No, I guess we lost Xenia. Well, that was the that, I guess the joke's on me. Um, but uh, uh, it's uh, Skaggsville, Maryland. Uh, what could you say about Skaggsville, Maryland? <laughs> no, it's a wonderful town. It's beautiful. I just meant I think it's really I think it's really fun the way she had this hyper local joke. Very hyper local. Yeah, you know, that's right. That was still that's still funny to a wider audience. So that was really good. Yeah, yeah. For Xenia. very good. Um, you know, one of the one of the funniest things uh, that I I saw on TV uh, was when the CBS Evening News broadcast a short clip of uh, our uh, uh, senior senator Bernard Sanders, Bernie Sanders. Um, breaking up what could have been a, a potential fight 
during a Senate hearing uh, not so long ago. Um, uh, do you remember seeing that? Did you see that? Yeah, that was quite a moment. And, you know, we have we have the news channels uh, on at work all day. And, uh, yeah, this senator from Oklahoma, Mark Wayne Mullen, which is just a great name. His, his first name is Mark Wayne. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he challenged the Teamsters leader, Sean O'Brien, to a physical fight, and Bernie had to stop him. And he's like, you are United States senator. Sit down. Oh, oh, you want a piece of me? You want to go? Let me tell you something, pal. When I get through with you, your face is going to need Medicare for all. That's right. Uh, I used to do some of my own uh, when when Bernie Bernie was mayor of Burlington. Um, we would sit there during city council meetings, and and it got it got um, uh, it was almost um, we didn't think of it that way at the time, but it was it was almost kind of like he was doing a stand up routine of his own. Uh, it's totally unacceptable to the people of Burlington and uh, the corporations. Are running this country into the ground. Uh, <laughs> Let me tell you something, Brad. Your your imitation is in the top one percent of the imitations of me. The other ninety nine percent are getting screwed. <laughs> <laughs> and by yeah. the way, you're a very handsome man. Oh, th- well, thank Great you. Hair. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> Although sometimes I do hate myself. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you you, you you Bernie in his private moments, right? Uh, um, uh, and uh, and you know uh, your your thoughts about uh, a baby boomer um, uh, uh, as a baby boomer. You know, here's the thing: I can't get past the number of tattoos I see on on people, the nose rings, etc. I don't have any of that, um, and I'm sure it's a very much a generational thing. But uh, um, as a baby boomer. What about yeah, tattoos? I mean, because I, I haven't gotten any tattoos. My daughters want me to, but I'm a little I'm a little hesitant, you know, because when we grew up, you and me, tattoos were just for the rebels, you know, the sailor, sailors and strippers and uh, Hell's Angels and so forth. And now everybody has them. And I like to say, you know, I, I have a friend who's a preschool teacher who has more tattoos than Post Malone, okay? <laughs> and, and I noticed that, you know, um, a lot of these tattoos are very creative, but they're confusing. You know, my, my oldest daughter has a tattoo. I'm sorry, her friend has a tattoo uh, of a monkey smoking pot on her rear end. And I said, that's really creative, honey, but but what does that mean? And my, my daughter said, it means she's stupid, daddy. <laughs> you know? And then I also noticed that we are the only species of animals that gets tattooed. You know, you never see, like, a butterfly with a tattoo of a single mom. No, you don't see that. So I haven't yet taken the plunge, Brad, and I I, I know that that my first tattoo is going to be of your face. Ah, good, (laughs) good. And where's it going to end up? I can't wait. Can't tell you on the air. Yeah, okay. All right. Um... Uh, so speaking of generational issues, um, you 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 and I have had this conversation in, in the minute or so we have left. Um, you we've had this conversation about about you know where you are as a late bloomer or or uh, or where you are as a as a baby boomer. Yeah, it's true. First of all, you bring up a point that can be serious. In other words, I've encountered a certain amount of ageism. Uh, 
in, in stand-up comedy in certain circles. Um, so that's unfortunate, but we try to create as many opportunities for ourselves as we can. And then I noticed that, of course, I love everything about all the other generations, and we roast each other, but I noticed that uh, baby boomers get blamed for everything, and I wondered if, if this you know, happened at previous periods in history, like were, were people in the – born in the 1340s and 50s, you know, blamed for the plague. You know, it's like, okay, plague or whatever, you know. Right. All you did was give us plague and left the world a mess, right. you know. Um, but, yeah, okay. I'm a, I'm, I also, you know, try to stay young. I got into comedy late. I got, started riding a motorcycle late, and I even got bar mitzvahed at age 46. So oh, do everything that's... a little bit late. Right, I guess. Walter, thank you so much for joining us. We have to go. This is WDEV AM and FM in Waterbury, Vermont.